reading today is Matthew 15, verses 29 to 39. In the large print Bibles, that's page 1,494. And in the small print Bibles, it's page 982. Matthew 15, beginning at verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into a boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. This is God's word. Thanks very much, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. I guess um, in a couple of hours' time, um, most of you will be sitting down in front of your Sunday lunch. Uh, hopefully, there's a whole Bolton family will be doing that, um, celebrating. Um, and somebody might say grace before you start to eat. I'm sure there'll be a whole lot of different uh, types of prayer said. Uh, some may prefer a short rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Or bless this food before us set, it needs all the help that it can get. I wouldn't recommend that one if you've been invited out for lunch um, today. Or we may use the opportunity to thank God for the many blessings that he gives us in this life, either as the words flow or by way of a, maybe a set prayer like uh, this one. We thank thee, Lord, for this our food, for life and health and every good. I think it's probably an American prayer because food and goods don't quite rhyme the way we say it, but it's quite an all-embracing prayer, isn't it? Um, food, life, health and everything that is good. Well, we've already given thanks this morning for, for the gift of life that we have witnessed in Nancy Bolton. And as we give thanks to God for her new life, we give thanks to God for our ongoing lives, even if we may not be blessed with good health at this time. The question is, when we give thanks to God, do we really mean it? Is there really gratitude in our hearts. Do we really trust that God has provided it all for us? Or do we think like Bart Simpson did when he was asked to say grace? He said, dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. 
everyone around the table is shocked when he, when he says that, but he's just saying out loud what many people think. Even if they don't say that, that's the way they may live their lives, as if everything they have is down to themselves. It's the way I lived my life in my, my 20s until God took away many of the blessings that he'd given me and helped me to realize actually that they had come from him. And until I acknowledged that, then he gave them back to me with many more besides. And even if we're Christians here this morning, we're not immune from this way of living. We may say grace, but do we live as though all we have comes from God and not from ourselves? Because if we do, if we do acknowledge it comes from God, then we will be using it for God's glory. We'll be keeping hold of it, or taking pride in it, or taking it for granted. We're in the middle of a sermon series on living by faith. And what we've seen in this series so far is hopefully that faith is not just about us. If we are Christians already, then we want to be growing in our faith. But it's not about us somehow trying harder. It's about us knowing God better. So far, we've looked at the story of Peter walking out on the water to, towards Jesus. And how Jesus is able to remove our doubts and our anxieties if we keep focused on him. We look to Jesus being confronted by the Pharisees and how Jesus can change our hearts if we trust in his transforming work rather than our ability to comply with man-made rules and traditions. We looked last week at just the simplicity of faith how a Canaanite woman came to Jesus and asked for mercy. She trusted, trusted that Jesus was Lord. She trusted that he had come to serve and not to be served. And the way in which he had served, he said himself, was to give his life as a ransom for many. And we compare Jesus with the dragons in Dragon's Den there who, who invite people in to present their case And if they really deserve it, maybe they will invest in their proposition. But Jesus, on the contrary, is willing just to give, to give generously to all. And this morning that will become hopefully clearer as we look at what it means to have faith in the God who heals and provides. Just uh, to remind you where we are uh, geographically. Um, we are here around the Lake of Galilee. That's where Peter was walking on the water. They went over to the other side to Gennesaret, which is around here. And that is where the Pharisees came up from Jerusalem to confront Jesus. Last week, Jesus was up here in Tyre and Sidon in the, the Gentile, the non-Jewish area. And now he's come back down to the other side of Galilee. And um, in Mark's Gospel, he specifically that it is in this area of the Decapolis um, down here. So that's where, where we are. But what does this passage teach us about what it means to live by faith? Well, first of all, living by faith is trusting in the God who heals. By now, as we look at the passage, um, word has spread everywhere about Jesus. Uh, so he doesn't need to go on Facebook or Twitter to tell everybody where he is. He goes up on a mountainside, we're told, and the crowds come. They flock. They've heard all about him. Uh, they want to come and meet him in person. The sick 
and the disabled couldn't get to Jesus on their own. They needed help. And so we're told in verse 30, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. They are hoping that he might be able to do something about their disability and improve their way of life. The lame and the crippled want to be able to work and help others. They want to be able to, to leave the house whenever they want and go and visit their friends. They want to do all the things that others can do. The blinds want to be able to see the beauty of the world around them. They want to be able to look into the eyes of those with whom they're speaking. They want to be able to see babies growing up into children and adults. The mutes want to be able to express what they're thinking and feeling. They want to be able to say to their children, their spouses, uh, that they love them. Well, today we're, we're blessed with advancements in medicine and technology that make life a bit easier for those with such conditions. Um, we now have laser eye surgery. We have um, electronic speech aids, prosthetic limbs. We have mobility scoopers, scooters. But whether we have more help available today or not, we still have illness and disability. I just raise a question, doesn't it? Why is there illness and disability in the world? We're told that God made the world. He looked at it and saw that it was good. So what happened to the world? Well, basically, humankind decided to reject God, to make up its own rules for how to live in this world. And that affected everything in the world. Not just humans and their relationship with God, or humans and their relationship with each other, but humans and the world. The world became broken, and sickness, disease, and death entered it. So that is, it says in Romans 8, the whole creation has been groaning. But what do you do when you have something that is broken? Well, you take it back to the, the manufacturer, don't you? You could try and mend it yourself, but um, if it's during the, the warranty period, you'll invalidate the warranty, and um, I'm sure none of us have tried to do that. The thing is, the one who made it knows how it was put together. They know all its weaknesses. They're the best one who can fix it. And it's a bit like that with Jesus. We can try and fix our own human problems. We can try and find others who claim they have the the power to fix our problems. But there's only one who's able to sort out our problems. And that is the one who made us in the first place. God himself. And the great news is that God loves the world... And he showed his love by sending his son into the world. He sent his son into the world to fix it. He came to heal the symptoms of a broken world. But more importantly, he came to heal the underlying cause of the broken world. Now, if you go back to to the passage here, you can imagine what you would be thinking if you were a GP and had this lot queuing up in your surgery. The great crowds came, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. But what happens here? It simply says, and he healed them. As simple as that, and he healed them. 
It was simple, but imagine the response. It says here the people were amazed in verse 31. They were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. You've got crippled people jumping up and down. You've got people who were mute speaking to what they couldn't say before. They may even be singing for the first time. You've got the blind running up and down without fear of causing an injury to themselves. And sadly, it's not often until we lose these abilities that we, we fully appreciate them. It's often when we start Googling about a certain illness that we may possibly have that we realize just how amazing is God's design for our human bodies. Now, you may wonder, why does Jesus heal all these people? But he doesn't heal everybody today. Today is the, uh, the second anniversary of my brother's death. He died of a rare illness uh, called primary sclerosing cholangitis. The illness affects the, the bile duct and over many years eventually causes failure of the liver. And we pray for his healing. And whichever way God uh, might um, have chosen to do that, whether through a liver becoming available under uh, the organ donor scheme, um, through myself or my sister possibly giving part of our liver or maybe through supernatural healing. Now, sadly, it didn't happen. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, will have been in similar situations where you've prayed for healing, and it didn't happen. Others have been healed and are only here today by the, the grace of God. Now, we don't know why he heals some today and not others. But let's have a look at this passage. Why does he heal all the sick here? Well, I think there are two reasons. And one of those is to show them that he was the Messiah, the one who had been promised many hundreds of years before to come and restore the world's brokenness. And to look at this um, more clearly, let's go back a couple of chapters in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 8, verse 16. If you've got a church Bible, you'll find that on page 973. And here it says this, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now that is a quote from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. So let's, um, if you've got again a Bible handy, let's turn to that particular passage that he's quoting from. It's from Isaiah 53, verse 4, and you'll find that on page 741. What does the full version say in Isaiah? <clears throat> Reading from verse 4, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. 
Now, the healing that is being talked about here is not just a physical healing. It is a spiritual healing. The cause of all our problems is a broken relationship with God. And that is therefore the healing that we need most of all. Now, that can only be done if there is, first of all, punishment for our rejection of him, because we have all rejected God in our hearts. And here in these verses, we see that there is a punishment taking place. But it's not us who receive it, not the ones who deserve that punishment who are receiving it. It's Jesus who takes it for us. It says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And that is the amazing news of the gospel, that Jesus just didn't come and heal people's physical illnesses temporarily. But he came to deal with humankind's fundamental problem, the problem of the heart. And that was the purpose of the cross. That is why he went and died and suffered there. The healings that he carried out in the passage we were looking at were demonstrating his love and his compassion whilst pointing people to who he was and why he had come. They were pointing to the cross. That is where the human problem of sin will be dealt with for good. And so if we go back to to Matthew uh, chapter to 15, we're told here that the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. These are people who were worshipping other gods, but they saw that before them this was the true God who could deal with their biggest problem. The other reason I think why Jesus healed them all was to give a glimpse of a world where there will be no illness or pain or death. Illness is a symptom of a broken world, but when Jesus comes again, he will restore the whole of creation. The Bible tells us he will give people new resurrection bodies. He will restore the world to its former glory. And so there will no longer be pain or sickness or death or sadness. I will make all things new, Jesus says. And in healing those people then, he was giving them a glimpse of what life will look like for those who put their trust in him. Those who will come to live in that earth. Many people in their hour of need say, well, if God healed me, or if he heals that person that I love, I will believe that there is a God. I will commit my life to him. But the trouble is that spiritual blindness is so deep that even when people saw Jesus heal the sick right in front of their eyes, they still refused to accept him as Lord and follow him. Although Jesus cares for our physical needs, the greatest demonstration of God's love is not in healing our illnesses, but in dealing with the sickness of the heart. And the good news is he's already done that on the cross. So living by faith is trusting in the God who heals. Secondly, living by faith is trusting the God who provides. Jesus is doing a miracle every day right in front of our eyes. He's giving us everything that we need for life. That is a miracle. Going back to the passage, Jesus has done these, these big healings. But he's aware that these people have been with him now for, for three days. Their food supplies have run out. 
In our family with three teenage boys, it takes three minutes before they're hungry again. Here it takes three days. But Jesus doesn't want to send them away hungry. He knows they may collapse on the way through exhaustion. Jesus made us. He knows how our bodies work. He knows what we need. And so he calls his disciples together. And just to be clear, this is a different episode from the feeding of the 5,000 that was mentioned in the previous chapter. It's a different time of year. They're sitting now on hard ground rather than grass. They've been there for three days rather than one. Quantities of food are different. But the key difference is that it's in a different place with a different crowd. Then Jesus was preaching to the Jews. Now he's preaching to the non-Jews. What is the same is what prompts Jesus to provide for them. If you go back at chapter 14, verse 14, it says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. If we flip back to chapter 15, it says, Again, I have compassion, in verse 32, for these people. They had already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Jesus is not uncaring. He's not oblivious to our needs, even if he doesn't meet them in the way or at the time that we want. He has compassion for each one of us. So what is the disciples' response then when Jesus calls them together? Have a look at verse 33. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd. Now, in some ways, it's quite a, a natural answer. But two things, I think, strike you from their reply. First of all, <clears throat> they immediately think of the problem, the human obstacle. We're in a remote place. There's no Tesco's we can nip down to. If we go to the local baker, it's going to take him days to bake this amount of bread for 4,000 men plus women and children. It's humanly impossible. The second thing that strikes you is that they've already just seen Jesus do this miracle for 5,000. So why don't they just say, why don't you do what you did last time? The great thing about the disciples is they're just like us, aren't they? They they have all the same weaknesses, all the same failings. How often, when we're faced with a challenge in life, do we immediately think of the human impossibility, rather than actually just stop and call out to God for help, to the God for whom nothing is impossible? We either start planning, using our limited human resources, or we just give up because it's just too hard. And even where we have experienced God's answer to our prayers in the past, somehow we forget that, or we think, well, he's not going to go and do that again. But why not? There may be a reason why God chooses in a different situation not to, but the reason is not that he no longer has compassion. Jesus never loses his compassion. He never tires of coming to the help of those who call out to him. In our last members' meeting, we were looking at the the financial situation of the church, and although expenditure hasn't increased, we are looking at a potential shortfall this year because giving is lower 
That's not the first time we've been in this situation. And God has always provided as we've called out to him in our need. But we have a natural human tendency to worry. And what we should be doing is calling out to him to provide. <clears throat> so how does this, so how does Jesus answer the disciples' uh, question though? What he doesn't do is rebuke them for their lack of faith. He simply asks, how many loaves do you have? The answer comes, seven, and a few small fish. Well, he gets the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he takes the seven loaves and the fish, and it says, when he had given thanks, even Jesus says grace to the Father, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Not they all had a little bit to keep them going, or um, he made sure most of them had something to eat. They all ate and were satisfied. He's given them, he's given all of them, all they need to fully satisfy their hunger. And afterwards, we're told the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. He met their needs and more. He is a God who overflows with generosity. Well, as we come to, to an end, we've been reminded in this passage of the brokenness of the world in which we live. And yet, we see the compassion of the God who made us, the God who sent his son to deal with our biggest problem, to restore the relationship between people and God. And although we may not see it or acknowledge it, he's still providing us with what we need on a daily basis. We continue to pray for those who are ill. We pray that God would restore them to health, that they would no longer need to suffer, that we can enjoy their company on this earth. But we look forward to a time when never more would we need to worry about their health or our health. And this passage gives us a great glimpse of what that will be like in the new heavens and the new earth, when there will be no more pain or suffering or death. That glorious future is open to all of us, to each one of us here this morning, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Let me close by reading some verses from that same book of Isaiah, which I quoted from earlier. And then we'll have a moment of quiet, just reflect on what the Lord is saying to us today. Isaiah chapter 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. 
This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. A moment of quiet. Father God, we do thank you for your compassion for each one of us. Thank you that you loved uh, this world so much that you sent your Son into the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We acknowledge we live in a broken world and the There are many of us here suffering and going through tough times, but we thank you that you care for us. We do ask you to come to us in our need at this time. And we ask you to give us the faith to trust in you that you will answer our prayers in the way that you know best. We thank you, Lord, that the suffering will come to an end one day. There will be a future, an eternal future, when we will be with you, when there will be no more sadness or pain or death, where we can enjoy great fellowship, great peace with you. And we thank you that you made that possible by dealing with the problem of our hearts, the problem of sin. We thank you that you offer forgiveness to all those who come to you. So, Lord, we come to you now. And we thank you for that forgiveness. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. Amen.